And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Hello, I'm Dan DiOrio, along with Ethan Wise of uh, Hair Nursery. Uh, Green Thumb heard every Saturday at 7 o'clock here on WMBD. Grab your cup of coffee, maybe a piece of paper, uh, maybe to write things down. Ethan is currently walking the grounds at Hair Nursery, and boy, this cooler weather is fantastic, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It makes me feel like I can actually do this as opposed to uh, just wanting to be holed up uh, inside. Uh, so, yeah, I'm taking advantage of this beautiful weather outside. Yes. And uh, finally, I am um, going to take back my yard. It kind of got away from me, especially the patio. And I'm like, that's it. This is the weather I like. That's why in the yeah. spring... Uh, and this, we battle rain all the time. Uh, this is why we, um, try to get everything done before summer. So at least it's just low maintenance instead of high maintenance. But now's the time, and this is the great time to, uh, really uh, be out on your patio anyway. So this is the time to kind of get all the weeds out, maybe add some fall color. And really, this is the time to enjoy your patio. Absolutely. It's, it's fire pit season. Yes. Yes. By the way, do you have fire pits there? We don't. Um, so I think we have, well, we have like one uh, you know, yeah. um, part of a display that we have for kind of this, this little outdoor uh, living experience. But no, it's not something that we ever got uh, big into. Um, we just didn't have the market for it. But uh, it's some, certainly something that many of us here are adamant about. Yeah. We do have fire pits or like our fire pits, and we like to have our our uh, our out our out time our outside time i should say this time of year well um and of course porch pots are very big this time of year um a lot of people on their front porch pots even their back porch pots are taking out the wavy petunias and all the things that have kind of gotten leggy and tired uh, mm -hmm. and now's the time boy if you do have like a, a fire pit uh, if you enjoy grilling on your back porch and some of your early annuals have started to kind of die away and get leggy, like I said, uh, there's a lot of options to add color. And we'll get to mums, but besides mums, there are a lot of other options for fall color. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, ornamental kale, um, which looks amazing this time of year. So some of you might have planted or purchased some of that early in the season, March, April, early April. It's one of the first things available for porch pots because it's so cold hardy. But if you did purchase it in March, it's probably one of the plants that you cycled out of your porch pot to, to kind of mix in things like calibercoa or uh, petunias, like you had said, salvia. But now it's making a comeback. Now is the time of year that it really looks phenomenal again. So we have uh, lots of different types of ornamental kale and cabbage. Um, and what's so great about that is the colder it gets, the more they change color. So if you're looking for the ornamental cabbage and you see one that kind of has a little bit of a purple center, well, in about a month plus, it's going to be a beautiful, even darker purple color. So that's always something that that works great in your porch pots. Plus, we have lots of ornamental peppers. Um, we have ornamental peppers that go from green to yellow, from orange to red, from green to orange. It's like all kinds of it's a, it's fascinating, all the different color combinations you can get just with ornamental peppers. And they don't get very big. They work really well if you put them towards the outside of your porch pot and kind of angle them a little bit so they can kind of slightly overflow over the side of your porch pot is a great way to utilize them. 
Uh, they are edible, but they're more heat than flavor. So I don't recommend eating them. Take it from me. I've done the experiment for you listeners. So don't try them unless you just want to have, you know, you're joking with someone, you're having a few beers outside uh, at, at your uh, at your fire pit. Then, then it's okay to do that. You know, you know it sounds <laughs> we, good we, we, with uh, with those. Bloody Mary. Absolutely. There we go. Have a few Bloody Marys. Drop in an ornamental pepper. Yep. Um, but, uh, but, but don't quote me. You know, I'm not telling you it tastes amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you you can do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, have, uh, we, have, and we do have mums, of course, like you said, in Celosia, um, Creeping Jenny, Ajuga, um, which Ajuga you're familiar with as a ground yes. cover. Mm-hmm. But it also looks really good in fall porch pots, especially with the color combination that kind of flows out. Uh, we have a, that variegated green, purple, and white one, which is the perfect fall colors, in my opinion, for a porch pot. What about aster? Someone said that because they want things that flower. Yes. Yes. So we have the asters, uh, which are a great substitute for a mum or also work really well in conjunction with a mum. Um, but yeah, we do have little four inch, six inch pots of purple asters. Uh, and we'll be getting some more in as well. So same with the mums. You know, we've just uh, some of our mums are just starting to open up and bloom uh, and look beautiful. Other fall flowers? Uh, so with the celosia, which is a wonderful one, like I would say that's uh, probably going to be one of the brightest flowers um, that you're going to have this time of year for an annual. But we also have uh, annual black-eyed Susan, and we have some marigolds as well. Wow. Oh, so marigolds, great, because uh, and uh-huh. black-eyed Susans, those are great for fall color. Yes, absolutely. We have lots of different kinds of black-eyed Susans, and we have some dwarf sunflowers, too. Uh, we have uh, orange, uh, so this beautiful orange variety of black-eyed Susan with, like, an even darker center. And then we have your traditional yellow varieties, too. Now, keeping in mind, these black-eyed Susans we sell as annuals, and they have a, a, a bloom that's about twice the size as their perennial counterpart. So there is a black-eyed Susan perennial and a black-eyed Susan annual, and we do sell both. And usually the way you can tell the difference is the Black-Eyed Susan annual has a flower that's twice the size of your Black-Eyed Susan perennial. You know, and do you have uh, orange marigolds? We do, yes. We have a a flat of orange and and, uh, orange-yellow marigolds. Mm -hmm. Great. So, uh, and really, if you just have porch pots, it's not like you're getting a ton of them like you would for a flower bed. So it won't cost that much, uh, especially with the taller black-eyed Susans or the dwarf sunflowers. Uh, You can mix in the kale and a few other things uh, and a marigold to get uh, for a porch pot, uh, very uh, inexpensive and affordable. We also have um, ornamental millet. Uh, oh, so what's millet? Corn and grass families. Yeah, millet is wonderful. Gives you some height, like true vertical height. It's not going to just fall over all over the place. We have green, um, so green leafed millet with a beautiful purple flower. And then we have burgundy leaf millet with uh, sort of a pinkish flower on it. Wow. So a great thing to kind of provide some height if you wanted to put, if you had big porch pots, uh, put a couple millets in the center of it and then surround it with some smaller plants. Um, or even put it towards the bed if your porch pots are by your house or by a structure, then, you know, put it towards the back of it facing the wall and then fill in with smaller things. It's a great way to get you some nice height in your porch pots. Have you uh, pre-made any? We do have some pre-made ones. They're beautiful. Um, we have uh, pre-made ones with uh, celosia and millet, um, ornamental pepper, and uh, um, oh, what's in here? So I'm looking at one right now. So we got 
a celosia, um, two celosia, a millet, uh, ornamental pepper, polka dot plants, ornamental kale, and a mum, all in the same planter. Wow. So you're getting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven plants in the same pot, um, and those are thirty nine ninety nine. So it's, it's a really good deal, I think, for, for some fall color. And you'll be able to enjoy that easily through the end of October. And if November's mild, then you'll you'll enjoy it through November as well. Wow. So if you're getting ready for some fall entertaining, uh, grilling, fire pits, and are, are these hardy flowers, if it gets a little cold down near 40, 35? Yes. Yes. Yeah, they would. Uh, they would. Most of these plants will do okay down to about 40, 45. Anything lower than that, they can tolerate as long as there's not frost on them. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to do the damage for them is if we have a, a really cold evening and frost develops on the foliage or the flowers, that's where you'll see damage. But low temps aren't necessarily going to cause the damage. So, you know, just cover them up uh, or just bring them inside exactly. the garage. Yeah. Oh, so there's a lot of options. So, again, this will be a good Saturday uh, to go out to Hair Nursery, look around. You can look at the pre-made pots, get some ideas if you want to make your own. How many pots, in case people want to add, do you have left this time of year? So we just got a shipment in earlier this week oh. um, of about uh, of different uh, – are you talking uh, pots as far as um, just like empty pots, ones to build up your, your own porch pot with? Yes, Oh, 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 okay. So those, um, I was, I'm sorry, my brain was still on the, uh, the, the yeah. pots that we made up for the, for the annuals, the mm-hmm. fall annuals. So containers have been one of those things that have been notoriously difficult for us to get our hands on this year. Um, and so unfortunately, we have not been able to get a late shipment of planters except for terracotta. Mm-hmm. So a clay, we have a, a new, uh, shipment of clay pots, light clay, like a, a white clay, a um, a dark gray clay, and then your standard terracotta color. But unfortunately, as far as decorated planters, we have not been able to get another shipment in since, um, I want to say, uh, June. Yeah, it's part of the supply chain problem. I do like the terracotta yes. look, though. Yeah, and they're really nice, especially the the white or light gray terracotta um, and the dark gray terracotta because it's kind of swirled with a – so our, our light gray is swirled with a, a sand and a white color, and then the dark uh, the dark gray is kind of it's, – it's almost like a, a brown, uh, an earthy brown with dark gray swirls in it. So they're really nice colors and different than your just standard terracotta pot. Yeah. Uh, so, um, boy, that'll be fun. And then to match the colors, uh, depending on the color of the terracotta pot will be kind of fun to do, uh, uh, for the Saturday. So, oh yeah, there's a lot of browsing you can do, uh, out in the yard. Also out in the yard, uh, trees are in now. Uh, if you have to dig a hole, now you say you, 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 you're kind of switching your, uh, plan for how the trees come bundled up. Uh, explain that again. Yeah, so we're we're slowly moving out of this world of of a big tree has to be a bald and burlap tree, mm-hmm. um, and so a bald and burlap tree is one that's field grown, and then we use a machine to cut it out of the ground and then wrap it in burlap and then put a wire cage around it to kind of hold everything together. Well, not only is that very labor intensive, um, but it also it means that you have a tree that, when wet, is anywhere from 500 to 1,000 pounds. Not very user-friendly for the average homeowner that wants to plant their own tree. So we are slowly moving out, and as many trees that we can transition out of being bald and burlap, 
and container grown, uh, that is that is the move we're making. Now, it's going to be hard to do that with evergreen trees. Um, growing an evergreen tree and having it look nice and full and Christmas tree-like, uh, you know, in a container is hard to do. They usually look thinner. So those we will probably continue to have field grown in bald and burlap. But we're finding out with our oaks and our maples um, and our, our plane trees, birches, that we can grow those very successfully in containers. Uh, we start them off bare root, little tiny babies, and then we grow them in the container. And, and we're getting just as good of a looking tree, if not better, um, by doing it that way versus growing it in the field and then wrapping it in bald and burlap. Also, a container-grown tree is so much lighter. Soaking wet, a 25-gallon container tree, which is going to be about the same size tree as a, bald, as a 30-inch bald and burlap tree, uh, is going to be maybe, uh, you know, 150 pounds. So something that, that two strong people can absolutely lift and handle uh, versus a bald and burlap tree, same size, uh, you can't move that without a machine. Uh, you can roll it. Uh, hopefully your hole is close to where you can unload it. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that's kind of the transition that we're making, and we're, we're having a lot of success with it. It's kind of fun. We're experimenting with different containers. Uh, there's a new container called an air, air prune container, which has a lots of slots and holes in it. And the point of an air prune container is it allows the roots to kind of grow outwards. Once they are, are growing into the air, they kind of stop growing. It's a natural pruning process because they don't want, they want soil. They don't want to grow out into the air. And so these air prune pots are a wonderful way to help us control the amount of root girdling that happens in a closed container pot. Uh, so all kinds of experiments and things that we're doing with how to grow trees and to grow them more successfully and efficiently. What was that curdling stuff? So so girdling, root girdling, girdling. is when you have um, yeah roots that grow around in a circle around the tree instead of growing outwards. And this is a big thing. Uh, you know, it's a common problem for people who take it. You know, they buy a tree and they plant it themselves. If they're not cutting the roots and cutting the outside of that root ball, then there's a good chance that those roots, because it's in a closed container, are going to keep growing around in a circle, eventually girdling that tree and strangling it. Uh, and so your tree might, you know, inexplicably start dying 10, 15 years after you planted it, and you don't know why. It's like, well, I haven't done anything different. Everything's been the same. It's been a good year, but my tree's slowly dying. Well, that's root girdling sometimes, and that's because the roots keep growing around in a circle, and they keep maturing and getting bigger. So what happens is they start constricting each other, um, and eventually the tree kills itself. So this new way of putting them in these pots allows the roots, while they're there, to start expanding out, correct? Correct, instead of continuously growing in a circle. Hmm. Um, and so that's also kind of the evolution of the tree growing industry, and one that we are... Um, you know, actively, we, we've started the air prune pots about two years ago, and our tree grower, our head tree grower, Ernie, was the one that was educating me, and I was just totally fascinated by it, although it's pretty easy to do when it's in a field that you enjoy, but I, it just made so much sense to me, uh, and I, met, I, I was just surprised that it's just now happening, that this big push for air prune pots is the uh, is just now really hitting the grower industry, but it's absolutely the way to go, in my opinion. How uh, we got about a minute or so left before the break. How big of a hole do you have to dig for trees? How much uh, space and uh, around it should you do? 
So I usually um, put my hands on either side of the container, um, and I measure from that point, from my thumb to my pinky, and I kind of tick, you know, I kind of scrape the soil with my pinky, uh, holding my hands on either side of the outside of the container, and that's the max amount of width that I go. So about an extra six inches to eight inches on each side of the tree. You don't have to dig a hole twice as wide or three times as wide. That's that's overkill. And when you backfill in a hole that big with loose soil and then you water it, you have quicksand. So there's not a lot to support the tree if you do it that way. So it's basically six to eight inches outside. Right. So, you know, an extra foot wider than the container is, mm-hmm. is a safe is a safe amount. And you only want to dig a hole as deep as the soil that's in the container. And a lot more and more people are enjoying it. Are they coming out and uh, commenting on what we talk about, Ethan? I feel like every other day um, someone stops me and uh, and either they are asking um, uh, for me uh, or they are um, or letting me know after speaking with me. And they'll say, are you the guy in the radio? And so uh, it's it's very it, it's it's nice. It's it's weird. Um uh, it's it's a weird level of fame, Dan. Well, you know? <laughs> well, you know what it is, though. It, what's great is is that when they get out there and they ask for you and get to know you. And by the way, you got a great staff across the board. But is that there? There's that relationship built up. Oh, I was listening about yeah. this. This fascinated me. What was that one flower or bush or yeah. tree? And and uh, so it makes it kind of fun. All right, we we're talking about. It, it does, yeah. It's, I know people are listening because they uh, they come here and they they name drop the show. So yeah. people are absolutely listening. So uh, we were talking about trees. We were talking about the fact that we're getting away from the ball and burlap uh, form of buying trees into various pots, which are a little bit lighter now. Um, and then and then the idea of a, a, a kind of an open air to allow the, uh, the roots to kind of grow out and not uh, girdle under. Uh, we were talking about planting, a, a digging a hole. You only need to do your thumb maybe out to your pinky wide outside the container so you don't have to do it twice as big. Uh, and But one of the keys they said is, how deep do you plant a tree? You don't want to go too much below the surface, correct? Correct. So really what you want to look for is the flare of the base of a tree. And so the flare of a base of the tree is when you are looking at the trunk of the tree, and as you get closer to the bottom of it, you start to notice that it starts to bell out. Um, it starts to look like a pair of bell-bottom jeans, and that's what you want to look for is that part where it starts to ever so slightly curve outwards on both sides of that trunk. Um, and at that flare, um, at the bell bottom um, of that trunk, is what you want to be ground level. If your tree is going straight into the soil and it's perpendicular with the soil and there is no flare, there is a good chance that your tree is planted too deeply. And just like girdling roots, that can be a slow death for your tree. There's lots of health issues that come from a tree being planted too deep. Um, one of them is rot. Um, you know, the, the tree is not developed to have uh, a, the same sort of, uh, of system that far up the tree where it does at the, at the root of, or the, the root flare of that tree. So uh, that can be uh, an issue with the tree as well as it can cause girdling roots when a tree is planted too deep. Um, but there's there's just lots of a whole slew of health issues that can come from planting a tree too deep. Yeah. So wow. that is I, something that I think many people don't consider 
or no. Um, so it's not always. So we try to have our trees planted correctly in the containers. But there are some times that that just doesn't happen, especially when you have a truck of uh, 500, uh, you know, um, uh, bare root trees that come in and we got to get them all planted. So just something to consider. Sometimes you need to scrape away the top inch or two of the soil um, to make sure that you start to notice that flare of the tree. All right. So if you're going to spend money on a tree, you want to protect your investment. And uh, that is. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's what the uh, experts at Hair Nursery, friendly people out there, they'll go over that all that with you. They'll point out the flare and kind of get it ready. If you if you have to scrape a little bit around it, maybe you guys will do it and just get it ready for them to plant. Now, I uh, absolutely when you think trees for a lot of people. You think bigger trees, 25, 30, all the way up to 60 and 70-foot trees. I enjoy more of the dwarf-style trees, 8 to 10 feet. I love Japanese maples. But there are other more dwarf trees that can give you interesting shapes and come within uh, 6 to 10, maybe 12 feet at most, correct? Yeah, yeah, and we have a nice selection of those, and that's that's a common, um, it's a pretty common thing for people to ask for, uh, especially when you have a small area. You don't want something that's going to get even 20 or 25 feet tall. You want something that stays underneath that, mm-hmm. and so we do try our best to keep those uh, in stock to the best of our abilities. Um, the, you know, the only thing is when you get a tree that small, you are somewhat limited as far as species that you have to choose from. There are Japanese maples, but you're not going to be able to get a, another variety of maple that stays small outside of a Japanese maple necessarily. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to get a dwarf oak or a dwarf sycamore. Um, even dwarf birches want to get pretty big. There's a Fox Valley River birch that you might read online that says it's only going to get about eight feet. Well, uh, at least double that um, So, uh, in, in reality. So, so you are limited, but at the same time, there's a nice selection of them, and, and it's something that I love talking to people about because I, I think some people come in only expecting to maybe get a, a crab apple or a cherry tree, and there's more things for them that we can offer. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, so we have Japanese maple, and what other ones uh, are kind of interesting in that range? Sure. So there's one that I'm looking at right now, and it's called Rising Sun Redbud. And so many people, many listeners probably already were familiar with the redbud. It is a native tree. It's one of the first flowering trees that we see every spring. And we usually notice it um, because there's no leaves on it by the time that it's flowering. It's just this pink, um, pink flowering tree. Um, and the flowers stay, they don't grow out like a crabapple. They're not on the tips of the branches. Um, sometimes redbuds just have their flowers along the trunk and the main leader of that tree for, an inter- for a very interesting, unique look. But the rising sun redbud and where it, it differentiates from the traditional redbud is it's a dwarf version. So your standard redbud is going to get about 20, 25 feet tall and wide. Well, the rising sun is not going to get much bigger than 12 feet tall and wide. And um, it has an interesting color-changing leaf property where your standard redbud is a just a green leaf. The... Rising sun redbud, the new leaves come out bright orange, and then they mature to a yellow color before settling for this light green coloration. So throughout the growing season, you have three different leaf colors on the tree that follow after the bright pink flowers. So it's a very colorful tree. 
Um, and, and like I said, it stays small and it has a nice tight habit to it. Sometimes the traditional red buds can kind of have a mind of their own. I tell people not to expect a tight form and that sometimes you have a little bit of a wild growth habit, whereas the rising sun has a little bit more of a, of a tight, compact form to it. And they're part of our spring dug collection, um, which makes them 25% off right now. You know, and, and the reason I asked for these kind of dwarf trees because if you share property with your neighbor and you get along with your neighbor and you got a little corner area, you don't want to plant a huge tree, but you want to just right. differentiate with a smaller tree that you could put in some mulch and rocks around so you can kind of both share it. And because uh, a big tree can be uh, get into possibly your foundation and the like. So I'm just looking for these smaller trees. What's another one? So another one is uh, kind of a tried-and-true tree. Some people probably might be familiar with this already, but it's called a Sargentina crabapple. And a uh, Sargentina crabapple, probably only going to get in the ballpark of 8 to 10 feet tall and wide maximum, and is a white-flowering crabapple. Uh, It's a variety of crabapple that can bloom. So kind of a fun fact here, uh, white-flowering crabapples can pollinate your other apple trees. Um, So just something to consider if you have any sort of fruiting apple trees uh, and you've run out of space, but your neighbor has a white flowering crab apple, well, that's going to help do the trick for you. Mm -hmm. So Sargentinas are great. We have some as well in our spring dug collection that are 25% off. And some of the ones that we have bald and burlapped right now um, are almost pretty darn close to being full grown. Um, so you're you're essentially buying the tree that you'll you'll have for the next 10 years easily. It'll get a little bit bigger over time, but not by much. It's got a little bit more of a wild look to it, um, so just kind of go into that. It's it's not your super formal uh, lollipop tree, but it's a very interesting tree, and it's great for anyone who is who loves their bird watching. Uh, it it will produce small fruit, but blueberry size or smaller, so it's not going to litter your yard with golf ball sized fruits like some of the traditional crab apples do. Now, if you have a traditional crab apple and you're having discolored uh, leaves and leaf drop, is that kind of common? This time of year, I've spoken to a few people who, who are addressing it. It's something that some people might have noticed in summer, um, but is persisting now into late summer, uh, early fall. And if you notice that your crab apple defoliated, um, maybe upwards of 50 to 70%, you notice yellow or orange spots on it, um, brown lesions on the leaves or anything like that, there is a chance that what you experienced was a fungal infection, and this was a pretty, uh, pretty bad year for, for fungal infections on crab apples. Uh, we diagnosed a lot of uh, leaf spots. Uh, we diagnosed a lot of scab, cedar apple rust, all diseases that will affect your apple tree um, and anything in the apple family. And so if you notice that, um, don't stress if this, this late into the season, um, if, your, if your tree has defoliated uh, by more than 50%, just kind of let it go. Uh, if you want to do a late-season fertilizer, you absolutely can. Use something like Hollytone, which is an organic fertilizer. I, I bring up that it's organic because it's easier for the tree to absorb, especially if it's stressed out. Organic fertilizer just breaks down in the soil differently. Um, so, but then you'll want to use a fungicide in spring. Um, so just remember that uh, when you're from bud break until petal drop is when you want to spray a fungicide, a preventative fungicide on your apple tree, whether it's a fruiting or ornamental variety. Yeah, heat, uh, monsoon, heat, monsoon. 
that just, yeah. it just feeds the fungus. Absolutely, especially so that was a major factor um, this year. I mean, we had a wet, we had a pretty wet summer. Um, we would have these really nasty dry spells, but then a torrent, like you said, a monsoon, a torrential downpour, um, and then just uh, humidity to boot. Uh, and so, yeah, it was it was a good year for fungal infections on trees. All right, uh, just a couple more. We got about five minutes left. Uh, this maybe one more because I want to talk about the great Christmas tree uh, drought that's coming up. But one more uh, smaller dwarf type tree, maybe with an unusual shape. Sure. Okay, I got one. I'm standing right next to so this. Is one of my favorite trees. Um, just this, this genius of trees. It's called a bald cypress. And anyone who's come out to Hair Nursery knows the big trees that are all in our sales yard with those big knots that come up out of the ground uh, are bald cypress trees. Well, we have a dwarf one called Lindsay Skyward, and it still is going to get 15 um, feet tall, give or take, but it stays very narrow. It's only going to get six, maybe eight feet wide. Um, and so it's a very tight columnar-shaped variety um, of bald cypress, and it's a unique tree. The foliage is super – it's fluffy. It's just a soft, fluffy foliage. Many people think that they're evergreens, uh, and they do kind of look like it, especially when they're fully leafed out. But they are a deciduous tree. They will drop their, um, their leaves uh, slash needles and so that's normal. So I don't want anyone to think if they bought a bald cypress, oh, my gosh, my evergreen's dropping all its needles. It's dying. No, no, no. Your bald cypress is supposed to do that. I love those big cypress trees out there. I feel like I'm in Louisiana. It's wonderful. And a lot of people get nervous when they see um, the ones that we have with the big roots that are coming out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to take into mind our trees. Uh, if, you, if you look, everything's compacted soil out here, so it's easier to traverse. Um, and, and those trees are getting watered twice a day automatically. Uh, and so if you look, there's, uh, if you drive around the Grand Prairie Mall, there is a lot of bald cypress trees planted. Mm-hmm. and none of them have roots that are coming up above the ground, and that's because those trees don't get watered regularly, so their roots are deep underground. They're not surfacing. I like... So you can have a bald cypress and not have it destroy your yard, or I think that's a wonderful... I, I think I was about to say what you're saying. I think I love the way the roots come up above oh, ground. Oh, that's the greatest feature about it is to see those roots up out of the ground. It's fantastic. All right, uh, real quick, about three minutes. Uh if you are looking for Christmas trees this year, and I've heard this across the board, there may this could be the year of the great Christmas tree drought. Yes, it's been going on for about four years, and it's finally coming to a head um, with this uh, uh, this being the fourth year of the Christmas tree drought. And it's just tough. There's and there's this year was made even worse um, by so many environmental factors. So, oh, hi, Molly. Molly's one of our cats that frequents our sales yard. She's one of our mousers. She's a sweetheart. Um, <laughs> distract squirrel. Um, but uh, uh, so, we, of course, everyone's familiar at this point uh, with the fires out west. Mm-hmm. Many, many fires. Hundreds of thousands of acres were set ablaze um, in the northwest area. And that's where a lot of Christmas trees come from. Um, and a lot of cut greens. Anyone who likes to buy cut bundled greens um, for different arrangements, their winter for or their winter porch pots, um, or for decorations inside. Plus, there was a late freeze in the Wisconsin, Michigan area that happened around Memorial Day, right when evergreens, uh, spruces and firs and whatnot, are pushing off their new growth. Well, they had a late freeze that not only killed the new growth but stressed the trees out, causing further dieback. 
And that's what happened with our vendor. And our vendor has been really great. We've had beautiful trees from him. But unfortunately, he and his farm were one of the ones affected by this late frost. And he lost two-thirds to three-fourths of his sellable crop that year. Um, which put us in a bind. Um, and so we have been, uh, like many others, um, been meticulously looking for different tree vendors, and we're piecing together an order uh, bit by bit, but it's not. It's going to be kind of a, a different assortment of trees. We're kind of taking what we can get, and it's not going to be a uniform selection of trees like we've had in the past this year. Well, so you might look for a different style of trees, and there are out there this year, uh, to get a different style of trees instead of your traditional tree, there's a, a different styles out there they may want to go with this year. And then what you accent that with what I love, fresh wreaths. Yeah, I, I think I'm just going to put lights around my little Monstera houseplants. Well, I guess it's not a little <laughs> plant anymore, but I, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. put lights around my, my Monstera houseplant and call it a day. Yeah. So be careful and be ready for that. The great tree shortage. I've heard from other places that set up shop in town from Wisconsin, and and Wisconsin was hit hard. Wisconsin was, absolutely. Many, many vendors, and that's a huge source of trees for many people in the Midwest. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Plenty still to talk about. We'll talk maybe some bigger trees (laughs) and more fall color. You've been listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. For Ethan Wise, I'm Dan DiOrio. We'll see you next week at 7 o'clock on WMBD.